Does God not say what you want him to say? And does that frustrate you? And would you consider now the futility of your own frustration? And does that futility frustrate you more? (laughs) Welcome to Highlands Community Church. (laughs) God says what he says. He has said what he has said. He has spoken it through imperfect people, but the message itself is perfect. Would you open to Numbers chapter 23 with me and see the story of Balaam? For context, the Israelites have been moving northward from the northeastern Gulf of Aqaba at the corner of the Red Sea and now they're moving up the King's Highway. This passage is on the eastern coast of the, the, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. And now they've come upon the land of the Amorites. And they've asked for amicable passage through, promising not to mess with anybody's vineyards, even promising in this desert climate to bring their own water and not even draw any water from the wells. King Sihon of the Amorites said, no, in fact, I'm going to come and kill you all. So that's nice. As a result, God gives the Israelites the land of the Amorites and they live there for a time. And then they continue northward a little bit farther. And then they come to the land of Bashan. And then King Og, likewise, says, hey, I'm going to kill you. And so again, God gives the Israelites the land of Bashan for a time. They lived there for a while. And now they continue moving northward. And this time, now at the land of Moab, they've arrived. And the king of Moab, Balak, has seen what's happened but has misconstrued it. He has viewed the Israelites as though they are on a conquest. They're not in the promised land yet. This is not the land that God has given them to take. God gave them that land temporarily. And it was because... They were accosted, they were, it was instigated by King Sion, it was instigated by King Og. They were not the aggressors here. But because he has watched this nomadic nation in the desert defeat the Amorites, defeat King Og and his forces, he says, they're coming towards me and I can't stop them. So rather than using military tactics, he is going to use spiritual tactics. He's going to enlist the services of a spiritual contractor. And he's going to form a a commission from the princes of Moab, and they're going to pay this weird pagan prophet named Balaam to speak curses over Israel. Now, Balaam does not worship Yahweh. There's never a point in the text in which we see Balaam repent and worship Yahweh and become a part of the people of God. In fact, the next time you see Balaam in the Bible, it's in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2, verse 14, and it's not good. To adhere to the teachings of Balaam and the beliefs of the Nicolaitans is a bad thing in Revelation chapter 2. So we have reason to believe that Balaam never repented. All right, we kind of speculate as to who he was and what he did. For whatever it's worth, when I picture Balaam, as I envision him in my head, I picture like this weird wilderness dude with like a beaver skull tied to his head and like a fanny pack full of Skittles. Like Dwight Schrute dressed as Belschnickel. 
That's what I picture in my head. That's not in the text. Maybe I'm just weird. But that's how I've always envisioned Balaam. This weird dude, he doesn't worship Yahweh, but God's gonna speak through him. Now why in the world would this pagan prophet actually do what God says? Now this doesn't get you to read your individual reading plan, I don't know what will. There was an incident involving a talking donkey that traumatized Balaam. He saw an angel of God and he understands if he doesn't say what God tells him to say, he's gonna have transportation issues. And so God has shaken Balaam and proven to him that he is God. Now Balaam, even though he doesn't surrender, is gonna say what God tells him to say. Chapter 22 gives us the background here. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, that's another nation, both the Moabites and the Midianites actually are part of the same family tree with the Israelites. This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. It's absurd. They even promise not to draw water from the wells as they pass through. They want an amicable passage by. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt to cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. They're going to pay Balaam to curse Israel. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Remember, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's so that you would respond. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse this people for me, for perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. Here's Balaam telling God, about Israel, but God doesn't know and God hasn't created this nation. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people for they are blessed. We've seen in the past two sermons, God discipline his own people. Now you're about to see God protect his people. The Israelites don't know what's happening here. They're on the plains of Moab. They're encamped. They don't know what's happening in the mountains above them as this weird pagan prophet, paid by their enemies, looks down upon them. They won't learn about this until later. Would you take a minute to thank God for all the things that he's protecting you from, but that you don't know about because he's protected you from them? Israelites won't learn about this just yet. We just know the background information because God has inspired the book of Numbers to Moses after the fact. Now look at chapter 23, beginning in verse 7. You'll see the story about the donkey and the angel in chapter 22. But here is the first of four oracles from Balaam. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, 
from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Do you remember your friend Aaron, your friend Aaron from high school? He's the friend who just lacked all discretion. And when you did what Aaron wanted to do, you always got in trouble, but you also always had a lot of fun. Do you remember, think about this friend. Every group of friends has that one friend who's a little bit nuts, okay? If you can't think of anyone, you were that friend. It's Christmas break. And in your gifted English class, you've been assigned, alas, Babylon. And everybody's been given copies of the book, Alas, Babylon, or Twelfth Night, or Captain Underpants, whatever the book was. And you've been told to go home and read this book over Christmas break, but Aaron has a plan. He's not going to read Captain Underpants. He's going to do something else. Aaron... You're crazy. Well, you come back from Christmas break and school starts, class begins, and we choose to give our book reports alphabetically. Aaron, whose name starts with two A's in a row, has no chance. <laughs> he gets up and gives a perfect scene for scene reenactment of Back to the Future 3. And then with smug confidence, sits down at his desk and reclines his head into the hammock made by his hands. Aaron, we all know you didn't read the book. <laughs> we all know it. We all read the book. And we know you haven't read the book. It's obvious here. Have you ever seen people who don't believe in God, people who haven't read the Bible, critique the Bible? Like, we all know you haven't read the book. Like, it's obvious. It's obvious, my skeptical friend. It's obvious you haven't read the book. It was obvious in English class, you accidentally used the word DeLorean one time, <laughs> referring to Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. Okay, we all know you haven't read the book. Only here's the thing. The stakes are eternally higher here than they were in English class. Please, I implore you, at least have the kind of respect for what God has said that Balaam had. At least let God's word say what God's word says. Don't try to pretend like it doesn't say what it says. Say what God's word says. Don't say what God's word doesn't say. We all know if you haven't read the book, it didn't fly in English class, it won't fly here. You must read the book before you critique it. Now, Balaam, because God has stricken him with fear, is sure to say what God has told him to say. And thus, he's 
honest about it. Must I, verse 12, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Did you see in verse nine? From the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him, behold a people. Christian, people who are far from God are watching you. They're watching you. You're being observed. You're gonna be held to a level of scrutiny that other people aren't held to. You're being observed. You're being watched here, just like Balaam was observing, just like Balaam was watching. Balak was seeing the people of God. What did Balaam see? What did Balak see from the crags looking down upon the plains of Moab? He saw the people of Israel. He saw the people of God. He saw the ancestors to the Messiah. You saw the redemptive plan at work. You saw the foundations for the gospel, the precursors to the cross itself. You see the shadows of the cross in the Exodus sands. As he looked down upon the people of Israel, he saw God's chosen nation through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. When you looked upon the Israelites in the Exodus sands, you were seeing God's redemptive plan at work. You and I today, Believe in a gospel because of that work. Now, you don't have to be descended from Abraham to, de- to benefit from God's promise to Abraham. Romans 9 says not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So these are our spiritual ancestors in the desert as Balaam looked down upon them, as Balak looked down upon them. Christian, remember, they're watching. Likewise, We know where they're at based on the context of chapter 22. They're in the plains of Moab. Now, what's significant about that? That's where the Exodus will end. There are 36 chapters in Numbers, 34 in Deuteronomy, although the events of Deuteronomy happen much faster than the events of Numbers. Nonetheless, we have more to go. There's far more to unfold in this story before the Exodus actually comes to a close. God's not done, but they are right there at the threshold, right at the border, just across the river from God's promised land. Christian, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're beaten up, would you consider that even though God's still working on you, you might be right there at the edge of everything that God has promised. You might be right there at the border of the promised land. You hold fast and let God continue to work in your heart, continue to refine and discipline you. That's where the Israelites are right on the edge of everything that God had promised them. Let's go to verse 13, Balaam's second oracle. And Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and thus shall you speak. And he came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. Uh Uh-oh, he brought the board of directors. This is going to be embarrassing. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Are you sure you want to know that, Balak? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. 
the Lord their God is with them. Do you hear the kind of outsider language he's using to describe Israel? The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. Listen, as this repeated theme comes up in the next two oracles, you're gonna hear hints of prophecies about the Messiah and what Balaam says. The shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. What happened after Herod gave the edict to have every boy in Bethlehem three years old and under killed? God prompted Joseph to lead the family out. They would flee to Egypt. Thus prophecy would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold a people, as a lioness it rises up and as a lion it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it's devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered to Balak, did I not tell you all the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So this is not working out well for Balak. Balaam has just spoken on God's behalf. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. Verse 19, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? These are beautiful words from pagan lips. When you read the Gospel of John, do you trust it more than you trust the book of Numbers? I mean, John, after all, was one of the disciples. Moreover, he was one of the inner three of the 12 disciples. You had 12 disciples, and of the 12 disciples, you had Peter, James, and John. They were closer to Jesus than the other. And even among the three, even among the 12 disciples was the three, and even among the three was one, John, who was particularly faithful. As Jesus went to the cross, Peter, that, that night, was denying Jesus, denied him three times and abandoned him. John, however, stayed faithful and true and near to Jesus even up to the cross such that Jesus would look upon John and Mary and entrust John with caring for his mother Mary. That's how faithful John was. That's how close John was. So when you read John's gospel, does that make his writing more dependable than these words of Balaam? When you read the words of John, what you're actually reading is not John's memoirs. You're reading the Holy Spirit of God speaking through John. You're reading the story of Jesus. Now, isn't that true of the words to Balaam? You're reading the Holy Spirit-inspired words of God, but God's speaking this time through Balaam, this weird guy with like a living snake as a necktie. You can trust these oracles of Balaam just as much as you can trust the red letters in the text of the Gospel of John. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired them both. When you read the Gospel of John, it's not John you're reading, is it? You're reading the words of God. This is a perfect message spoken through an imperfect messenger. Have, have you ever been failed by a pastor? If not, just give me a minute. 
We're imperfect men. We face temptation just like you. Just like you have to stay to strive and remain repentant from sin. But this is perfect. This is perfect. This is the word of God. This is a perfect word wielded by an imperfect man. Do not give this credit for what this has done in our hearts and lives. And if you ever hear a difference between this and this, go with this. If you're reading the Bible and I'm preaching and this says this, but Pastor Jesse's saying that, this says this, Pastor Jesse's saying that, the elders are going to get Pastor Jesse after this. (laughs) And you'd be absolutely right. You'd be absolutely right. I wouldn't hit the bottom step of the stage before I was held accountable. This is perfect. This is imperfect. If your faith is in this, it's in the wrong thing. Place your faith in God. As we read the words that God speaks through Balaam, they are just as trustworthy as the Gospel of John. Because when you read John, it's not John the dude. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the living Word of God. That's how John's Gospel even opens. In the beginning was the Word. So as you read the Word, it's just as valid even coming from Balaam's lips. Do you know that God can speak even through somebody who doesn't worship him? He May. God may do anything. He's sovereign. He's in control. He will happily use people who are hostile towards him to feed the hungry. God may. He did it through Balaam. He did it through you. If you likewise don't profess faith in him or are hostile towards the gospel, would you listen as God might likewise be speaking to you? He spoke through Balaam. Do you feel him speaking to you now through this text? Do you see your reflection in Balaam? Listen to what God speaks through Balaam. He says of God in verse 19 that he's not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? I was student pastor at First Baptist Church of Windermere in Orlando. And that's where I first got into publishing. That's where I wrote my first books. And from there, Lifeway moved my family to Nashville. And then when we were in Nashville, trips to Disney World became not only trips to Disney World, but also trips to reconnect with our church family that was in Orlando. And so once we were in Orlando, we were reconnecting with old friends. We had plans to do stuff at Disney. But then I got a call. My brother, Zach, in Birmingham, his daughter, Elle, who's three years old, was in the hospital with health problems. Something's going on. We had to cut our trip short. We had to go. Birmingham. And even though we'd promised our kids more time in Orlando, we had to go. Why? I, I couldn't stop what was happening in Birmingham from happening. And I couldn't foresee in Birmingham what would happen in Birmingham. I was in Orlando. We lived in Nashville. I didn't have control over these things. So my promise to my kids is only as good as what I can foresee and what I have the power to fulfill. Now, apply that same standard to God. His promises are limited by his power, which is limitless. His promises are limited by his foresight, which is limitless. He is both omniscient, meaning he knows all, and he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. So when God says that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. 
Right? If God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. Nothing is ever going to catch God off guard. Nothing is ever going to overwhelm God. He is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has spoken and he will do it. He is the Lord. Now juxtapose that with Balak. In verse 25, Balak receives this second oracle from Balaam and doesn't like it. He says, don't curse them at all. Don't bless them at all. And the Jesse Campbell translation is just... Shut it. Stop talking. Every time you do what I paid you to do, you bless my enemy that I paid you to curse. Man, I wish you had a refund policy. (laughs) Don't bless them at all. Don't curse them at all. And then just two verses later, verse 27, and Balak said to Balaam, come now, I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it'll please God that you may curse them for me from there. He changed his mind in two verses. I juxtapose that with what we learned of God, that God does not change his mind. God does not change his mind. Now, also, consider the futility of this approach. It's a relativist approach in verse 27. He thinks that if if he just gives Balaam a different physical perspective on the people of Israel, that that would change things. Okay, look at, at, okay, you can't curse them from that angle. All right, what about, like, okay, Try it from this angle now. Curse them. Like, Balak, it doesn't matter what angle you look at the people of God from. Like, they're the people of God. These are the children of the promise. The promise made to Abraham. God deals with his own people. He disciplines his own people, but he's working through these people. All right, it doesn't matter what angle you look at the people of God from. They're the people of God, Balak. You can't undo what God has spoken. You cannot revoke the promise that God has made over his people. Balak does not like what God has to say. And so he's trying again and again, from this angle, from that angle, from this mountaintop to the next mountaintop. Balak, you can't change God's mind. He's not like you. If you don't like what God has to say, the issue is not with God, it's with you, Balak. God has spoken. He has said what he's going to say. Would you check your heart? Even Christian, if you, like Balak, sometimes wish that God's word were more tweetable. You wish that, oh man, I wish that God would just get with the times already and be more politically correct sometimes and just less offensive because it's really costing me political capital at work. Like, oh, I'm frustrated with your Bible, God. Hey, be careful, Christian. When When we get frustrated with what God has said, we can find ourselves sounding a lot like Balak. Okay, God has said what God has said, and God means what he says. What's up with the seven bulls and the seven altars? Have you noticed that? This time Balaam prompts it, but this has been used a few times in the text. This is a well-documented Babylonian practice of worship. It comes, it appears in the worship, uh, it appears in the worship of, of Shamash and Ea and Marduk. We'd have seven altars and then the blood of seven lambs poured out upon the altars. I mean, look at all the syncretism that's at work here. Syncretism is treating all the world's religions like a buffet and choosing what you want and leaving what you don't. I mean, he's using a Babylonian sacrifice ceremony at the behest of a Moabite king, Balak. The Moabites worship Chemosh and Molech. They they had a very different sacrificial system. 
And now all of this is at play to try to curse the people of God on Yahweh's behalf. So you have Balak, who worshiped Chemosh and Molech, enlisting Balaam, who's using Babylonian sacrifice techniques to try to get Yahweh to curse Israel. Right? My, my syncretist friend, my syncretist friend, if you try to like pluck what you like from the world's religions, ooh, I like this thing from Buddhism, it makes me look enlightened and with it. Oh, I like this thing, I like the idea of karma, unless something bad happens to me. <laughs> I like this about Christianity, heaven sounds nice, thanks, repentance from sin, nope. Would you look at your plate? Like look at those bizarre amalgamations of contradictions and paradoxes you've given yourself. All right, you are a walking contradiction a walking logic problem, All right? When you put Christianity on your plate, it kicks everything else off because it is wholly incongruous with every other worldview. There's no other worldview like this, and which is not a self-improvement plan. You don't get enlightened. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And nobody else, nobody else in all of pagan mythology went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. Nobody else resurrected from the dead. Buddha himself didn't claim to know truth even when he died, but Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's the only one who made these claims. Christianity is wholly incongruous with all other faith systems. Syncretism did not work out for Balak and Balaam. It will not work out for you. Would you give your life to Jesus and surrender to his lordship? because he's the only one who went to the cross. He's the only one who resurrected. He's the only one who made these exclusive claims to the truth. Now, let's look at, let's look at the third oracle. Chapter 24, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. This is why I have this weird picture in my head of a dude with like lion teeth necklaces on. Okay, that, because he, he was resorting to omens at first. He was using Babylonian pagan methods of worship at first. But now he has seen what pleases the Lord and he stopped looking for omens. Now he's just listening to God. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. I wonder how they were formed. And the spirit of God came upon him. Remember that. And he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. This is, isn't this bizarre, Highlands Community Church? We're listening to a pagan prophet speak the words of God right now. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets. Remember, we're in the desert here. And his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Here's that theme again. See Jesus in this. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations. His adversaries shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Balaam wasn't there. He doesn't know who Abraham is. This story begins with him explaining to God who Israel is. So he wasn't there to hear God tell Abraham in the book of Genesis multiple times over, blessed are those who bless you and curse are those who curse you. He just reiterated the Abrahamic promise here. And this promise is still true today. 
Watch, turn on the news, you'll see. Blessed are those who bless you, cursed are those who curse you, O Israel. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Look at Balak trying to speak on God's behalf now. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. That donkey incident got to him. <laughs> and now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people, Israel, will do to your people in the latter days. The fourth one is free, Balak, but you're not going to like it. And he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Merry Christmas. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. You remember Genesis 3, the, the pre-gospel, the proto-euangelion, the, the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. And break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. He's giving prophecies now that are historically verifiable via extra-biblical sources. The events described in his prophecy, crushing the forehead of Moab and dispossessing Edom in verses 17 and 18, come absolutely true in 2 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 12, as David leads the armies of God to conquer Moab and to dispossess Edom. Verse 20, then he looked on Amalek. Uh-oh, Amalek just came there with popcorn. He was just here to watch the prophecies unfold. Now God's gonna speak to him. You may have come here because it's Christmas time and you don't get any of grandma's pumpkin pie unless you come to church. Guess what? God's gonna speak to you. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. Then he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place and your nest is in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Assur takes you takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Ketim and shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam arose and went back to his place and Balak also went his way. All of this is spoken, Balaam says, with his eyes opened. We saw in the text where the spirit of God came upon him. Would you consider this, my skeptical friend, if you've been far from God, you deny the lordship of Jesus, you know that God is real, you know that God exists, but you don't want to repent, you don't want to acknowledge him as Lord, would you consider the danger of this prospect? I've had skeptical friends come almost to faith in Christ and I say, you're worse off now than you were before, friend, because you've tasted the goodness of the word of God. You've experienced the Holy Spirit of God. You have had a glimpse of the heavenly age to come, and you've turned away. If you're going to come to Highlands Community Church, don't just abuse this text like some sort of moral archetype to make you a better person and give you answers to questions that haunt you. Come into this place and meet Jesus and surrender to him as Lord. God speaks through whomever he will. He spoke through Balaam. He did it again in the New Testament. Do you want to see? 
This is awesome. In John chapter 11, verse 45, Caiaphas, who was politically motivated, the high priest in Jerusalem that year, not only did he not believe in Jesus, he was a part of the team that was gonna instigate the murder of Jesus. And God spoke through Caiaphas, against Caiaphas' own knowledge. All right, in John 11, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They want to murder Jesus because he's performing miracles. Think about that for a second. If you're gonna deny your belief in Jesus until he does a miracle for you, would you look at the biblical precedent? These people saw miracles and it made them want to kill Jesus. Seeing signs and wonders and miracles from Jesus is not going to make you believe in him. It made his detractors want to murder him. So because of these signs and wonders, they, they plan to end Jesus' life. Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. There was tension politically between the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. Jewish authorities, like our Jewish friends today, think that all the Messianic prophecies are just about political Israel. They're not. The full promise that God made to Abraham was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so for their political interests, they chose to crucify Jesus so they would get Rome off their backs, and they wanted Rome's method of execution to do it. Unwittingly, Caiaphas just shared the gospel. He said, it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. He didn't say this of his own accord. He was being used of God, a mouthpiece for the Lord whom he was crucifying. He was thinking in political earthly terms. God was sharing the gospel with you where you sit today. Isn't it ironic he would open up his discourse with, you know nothing at all? Indeed, Caiaphas. What he just shared was the gospel. Would you consider this, that you, like Caiaphas, may not know God, but God would speak to you and speak through you. That you, like Balaam, may not even worship God, but God is speaking to you. That you, like Balak, may hear what God has said, you may just not like it. Listen, in your heart of hearts, you know that Jesus is Lord. You know that he is God. You know that he is real. You know that his word is true. You know this, God's divine power and eternal nature are clearly evidenced by everything that God has made. Do not suppress that truth with wickedness. Because even though you know of God, you don't honor him as Lord or acknowledge him as Lord in your heart, God's going to cause your wisdom to become foolishness. Though you think yourself wise, you will stand a fool. Because God has spoken to you, because you've heard his word, you're culpable before God in judgment for it. You cannot claim ignorance and judgment before God because the gospel's been spoken over you today. You are not exempt from the reach of the Holy Spirit. Do not treat his word like an encyclopedia for you to recite. Rather, let it transform your heart and soul, Balaam. Adhere to the very words that you speak. Consider the danger you put your soul in by mishandling this text. 
Do not hear it, know that it's true, and fail to surrender to it. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've committed a sin before, would you just raise your hand? This is a sketchy crowd. <laughs> your loved ones know where you are. Did you see that? Even the pastor raised his hand. What kind of church is this? And then it gets worse. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Which means, which means that what we get in return, what we deserve for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Romans 10, 9, you saw it coming, didn't you, Highlands? It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not just correct like Balaam, saved like John. So what's it going to be? Will you come into God's house, hear from God's word, and deny God's son? Or will you surrender to the Holy Spirit's drawing upon your heart, the same spirit that spoke through Balaam to prophesy the Messiah, the same spirit that spoke through Caiaphas unwittingly, the same spirit is alive and well in this room. It's drawing upon your heart. Do not hear this truth and fail to adhere to it like Balak, like Balaam. Hear the truth and surrender. Jesus is Lord. You know it in your soul, so confess it with your mouth. As God draws upon your heart, would you pray with me now? God, I believe your word is true. I believe it, God. I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him, I would not perish but have everlasting life. I confess, God, that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not messing around anymore. I'm being real and honest, God. Your word is true, and I know it. I've tasted a glimpse of the goodness of the word of God. I've seen a glimpse of heaven in this place, and I am out of your will. I am a sinner condemned to death by my sin. I confess it. I have sinned, God. And I acknowledge by the truth of your word that the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9, God, you said, if, you said you are faithful, you are just, and if I confess my sins, you will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from unrighteousness so I confess it, God. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you when you said in John 14, 6, that you are the way and the truth and the life. And there's no way I can come to the Father except through you, Jesus. So filled with the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Balaam, filled with the same Holy Spirit that, that rebuked Balak, the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Caiaphas unwittingly is the same Holy Spirit that's speaking to me now. Like Balak, like Balaam, I was an enemy of God. Like Caiaphas, I didn't believe in you. But here I sit, drawn by your Holy Spirit. By that Spirit, oh God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's not a good person. He's not a life coach. He's not a truth giver. He's more than a healer. He is Lord. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it. Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up and worship with us? Some of us for the very first time as brand new believers in Jesus Christ as Lord.